Welcome to the Work Before the Work podcast for account executives, SDRs and sales professionals looking to prospect better, sell more and get promoted faster. I'm Paul M. Caffrey, co-author of the Work Before the Work and in each episode we deconstruct the hidden habits elite sales professionals use to outperform the competition. Please share and enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Halligan, the co-founder and COO of Pitched It. Rob, how are you doing? Great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, look, delighted uh, that you've come on. And uh, I guess this episode will be a little bit different than most uh, because rather than focus on sales, we're going to talk about what you could or maybe should do with your commission that you earn. Yeah, nice. I think we've both, uh, both been through that over the years working together. So hopefully we have some good things to share. So Maybe uh, you might share how you came up with the idea for Pitched It. Yeah, for sure. We obviously worked together in Salesforce. I was there for six and a half years, pushing seven years. Um, I think you were there similar, probably a similar amount of time. And um, we worked together for a couple of those years. Yeah, I mean, I started there as a sales development rep at the time. Came in pretty green in the sales world and didn't really know a huge amount. Didn't really know a huge amount about what I wanted from a career either, but was happy to to be at Salesforce. Obviously, um, had a great reputation. And I mean, to, to, to not make the story too long, I think one thing that when you work at a big company like Salesforce, particularly in, in kind of big tech, right, is very early on, you're exposed to the employee stock purchase plan or stock options. I had no idea about investing. I had an interest in the idea around finance, personal finance, but no exposure to really any of it. And that was kind of your first port of call, right? When it came to that, it was your, your, your first exposure to that. And you realize very soon that everybody around you who are also starting that journey potentially for the first time or their first step into that world of investing, your financial literacy kind of comes on very quickly. All of a sudden, you've kind of popped your cherry, if you will, on the investing front. And then all of a sudden, kind of, this is now not that scary and not that big a deal, kind of looking around elsewhere. And myself, we sold into a lot of uh, VC-backed tech companies across the UK and that's a really exciting space. And you get really, really close to a lot of these clients and you learn such a, a massive amount about how they operate, their people, the various departments and how they're connected and how they do business. But importantly, you're kind of always keeping an eye on how they're moving, right? Because these are always signals, buying signals for you as well. You're looking at, are they raising money? Are they spending money? What's been happening? Are they uh, moving into new territories? Are they launching new products and all that good stuff? And I remember I was the account executive of a client called Pecan at the time, and they exited to Workday for nearly a billion dollars. And I just remember thinking, you know, how much money, you know, did those fans make? How much money did their employees make? And how do regular people like me and the people, you know, around me invest in companies like these? And that kind of set off a spark uh, that started looking into alternative assets and investing in, in private markets. You know, unbeknownst to me at the same time, my co-founder, Scott, who's also my best mate of 20 plus years, was having in parallel similar thinking and similar ideas in his head. Um, and then one day we kind of realized and came together. And since then we've launched Pitch. I think is, is really interesting that you mentioned is, yeah, selling into those startup scale-up companies and seeing as you say, the triggers, oh, they've got investment, they've got another 50 or 100 people working there. These are all good things if you're trying to fight your SaaS. But um, 
that whole world of getting a piece of a company at that size is a little bit locked away for most of us. So if we think about it realistically, if somebody is already on the stock market, they've probably already had that IPO, they've already had that big jump in value. Um, so a lot of that is somewhat locked away from regular people like myself and yourself. 100%. I mean, historically, private markets or alternative assets like private companies and hedge funds and all that stuff is world away from 99% of people, right? It's the 1% world. It's the, the wealthy that have access to those things. But they're also the highest performing asset classes, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of when you when you realize it, you're kind of going, well, no wonder the wealthy maintain their wealth and grow their wealth to such an extent is because they have access to the tools that allow them to do it. Well, the majority of us just don't have access to those same tools, any salespeople will know that, because salespeople, like I mentioned, you, you make that first kind of jump by investing in your stock purchase plan or your given stock when you join a company. Generally, what I've noticed, and I'm sure you, you, you probably did it yourself, is when you look around your colleagues in these companies, a lot of them are also looking elsewhere very soon after that, like where else can I put my money, right? So they're looking at like investing and now it's so easy like what i mentioned there about investing in the stock purchase plan like that's eight years ago you know roughly when i joined salesforce um since then and back then there wasn't apps on your phone to make these things super easy the first platform i started using was etoro and i was trying to buy ethereum a cryptocurrency at the time but that wasn't an easy process either i'm sure it's gotten the user experience has come on leaps and bounds since then but it wasn't wasn't super easy but now it's the touch of a couple of buttons and and you can do that um but yeah it's it, it's it's a different world for sure in comparison to what it was um and i think people have come on so much in terms of their understanding of the world of finance as well but you know it's still not easy to get into these private markets it's easy for people now to whip out their phone and buy some stock on revolut or Desiro or a similar app like that um, but it's not very easy to invest in a private company, particularly in its early days, pre-IPO or any other private market asset. We're all in these WhatsApp groups and you're going to find yourself, maybe it's the end of Q4, you've got that big commission check. It's just money sitting there. You think, oh, I should do something with this. Let, let's invest. It sounds cool. Um, but very easy to, um, I guess, go after the flavor of the month or the latest late shiny object. And you can potentially lose a whole lot that way. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, everybody's situation is really different, right? You look across a floor in a, a just you say a tech company for the, for the sake of the argument across the sales floor and the variety and person is in terms of demographic, we're very much the same, but the age bracket is very, can be very different. You have people who are just out of college and you have people who are, you know, in their forties, fifties who are also selling and everyone's responsibilities and priorities are vastly different, right? So if you're someone who's just out of college, you may, maybe you're not married or have a family or a mortgage or whatever, how you spend that money is going to be vastly different, right? And you'll probably be more inclined to look at some of the nice shiny things and that might not be saving or investing. It could be other things. I think uh, I heard something before about sales managers and VPs love AEs that go out and spend their money on, you know, nice new cars and whatnot because it means that they've spent their money or racked up some debt that they go and that they go and need to replace or replenish. So they're motivated again to start selling. Um, for the people who are maybe 
more further along in terms of their their life and maybe they have kids and a mortgage they're not quite maybe spending on the flashy stuff but maybe they're more inclined to invest or save or whatnot so it's obviously different for everybody um i mean i mean and obviously looking back in hindsight i would have done a lot of things differently as well but i did always try through my own interest to make sure that certain things i was doing some things as certain things yeah um, and when it comes to investing i think for me and a lot of people will be the same you know at the end of when i was thinking back to my days in in, in SaaS sales every month is different your pay packet looks different every month right you know depending on how well you've done uh, or every quarter whatever way you're paid um so it can often be hard to properly plan ahead of those things and for me it was always like automate as much of this as possible if i want to save money or if i want to invest money have it come out of my account automatically so that it's just gone and then i can you know i can do what i wish with the rest but when it lands in your account and then it's up to you to go "Mm, where will i put some of this that's where it's very easy to get carried away and just um spend on on, as you said flavor of the month or something else but uh, yeah Yeah. it's obviously different right like if if i think about some of the stuff um about modded nfts for a while that was a, a bit of a funny, funny time. Yeah. That market seems to be definitely way down. I don't know if that'll ever be yeah. back. On its knees, I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't I didn't um, venture anywhere into the NFT space, into the crypto space um, myself and Scott quite a while ago, back yeah. in 2016 and 17, um, quite a bit. And did okay and held on to a little bit of it, very small amount. But those were pretty wild days as well, right? So it's kind yeah. of things we've seen before so i guess what i'm picking up so far is to um yeah you know have a plan to uh, maybe put some of your earnings or commission aside on a monthly basis try automate that if you can have that going somewhere um and what's um what's the key difference with say pitched it versus let's say if i was to go looking at using a zero or typically ipo traded company stocks yeah yeah sure so something like the zero or um even revolut if you're looking at just the, just the stock or crypto purchasing element of it um or even using an exchange like e-trade or something like that for the mm-hmm. most part most of these will expose people to public market assets, so your stocks, your bonds. Um, so the stuff that most people are familiar with. Some of them have now ventured into cryptocurrency a little bit, which is a private market asset or an alternative asset. Um, but uh, it is obviously still relatively in its early days in its infancy cryptocurrency and has a lot to prove, I would say. And I mean, if it's, again, like I have, have played in that space, but... I'd be wary enough of it as well, unless you knew what you were doing. But in terms of pitched and what we do, again, we expose retail investors to private market assets. So a retail investor being your someone like you and me, your everyday okay. person who likes to invest some of their um some of their their salary. They're not considered a high net worth or an accredited investor or a professional investor. And we expose them to private market assets. I'm going to be starting with um venture capital or the startup space, uh, directly investing in in young private tech companies. Now, the difference between ourselves and um, those is probably pretty obvious then, right? You're looking at stocks in publicly traded large organizations usually or bonds versus young startups that are in the early stages of their growth and, uh, you know, will be backed by, say, venture capital firms, right? Um, And we'll then move into other asset classes within the alternative space like private debt, 
hedge funds and other areas as well, right? Um, the difference, say, between us then and someone else who plays in that space, like, say, a Cedars, which a lot of people would be familiar with, or a Crowdcube, like a traditional crowdfunding platform, is that those platforms usually work kind of on a volume play. There's a lot of opportunities on the platform, mixed industry and vertical, mixed quality as well. Um, the space uh, historically hasn't been regulated, is now, which is a great thing, uh, particularly for the, the the safety of the, the user. Um, but unfortunately, what you see with platforms like that is, unless you know what you're looking for, unless you know how to effectively screen and analyze an opportunity, you're still just blind betting, right? You're still just taking a punt on the company. And you're following generally what we see and from the research we've done is people either follow their mates because they've said, oh, I've invested in this company and they think that's good enough for me. And they see a brand that they're familiar with. So maybe it's a brand that they bought before or they use or they're flicking through the platform and they see kind of loud, shiny branding that they've done a good job on their brand. And they think, oh, this company looks cool. I'm going to put some money into it. And that's not a good investment strategy, right? For 99% of people, they don't have that experience. They don't have the time to be sifting through uh, platforms like these and trying to find a winner or a good good company and they don't have the knowledge so the one thing these platforms have done and no shade on these platforms they're 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 great and giving people access but um they have allowed people to access you know investing in startups for small amounts of capital but i think they still are missing two really important elements and that's around the knowledge piece and the time piece and they're two elements that we looking to solve through our platform by taking that heavy lifting away from the end user really automating the process for them so they can build out a diverse portfolio quickly and with very little required input from them. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, look, we've all been there when you, uh, let's say you jump on Cedars, every project seems like it's the next big thing, right? It's, you know, you're blown away by it. Um, So you're then advocating for people to um, diversify into the the small uh, into the smaller startups that that they're going to have access to in in the private market. Then is, is that yeah, that's the idea? Absolutely. I mean, I think any good uh, investment strategy for anybody, and like you know, using that term investment strategy shouldn't be scary to anybody, even if people are new to investing. Everyone, if if you're going to plan to put your money somewhere, you should have a bit of a plan and a strategy around it, right? Instead of just going on to Desire Revolut and throwing all of your, you know, spare cash into one stock or two stocks, there should be kind of some kind of structure around it. And diversification is the key around that. It's like funneling your money into different spaces that give you security, right? So if one of them goes up or goes down, the others or goes down, I should say, aren't affected affected too badly or too negatively. Um, And... You know, I'm not saying that you should put all of your money in public markets or all of your money in private markets. It's about having a strategy where money is put in between both. So that's what we want to give people access to. People already have easy access to the public markets. As I said, we can whip out our phone anytime and easily buy some stock. But people don't have access to the private market uh, asset classes. And they're the ones that have historically outperformed um, the public market. So why shouldn't everybody have access to those is our question. The wealthy have access to them and use them to their benefit and grow their wealth every year. Everybody else should be able to do the same. So that's what we're. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's I suppose, further levels of diversification. So I mean, things that maybe 
could probably go without saying, but should get a mention is, you know, maximizing pension contributions or, you know, if you're in different parts of the world, that's 401k or whatever that is. Um, obviously, there's, there's tax efficiencies there. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. diversified portfolio, I guess what it really comes down to is if you pick one business or one stock or one thing to, to invest in, um, you probably should know that inside out. You probably should know the market they're selling to inside out which means that you are very knowledgeable to know if the good times are going to continue or if there's any risk on the horizon. And let's face it, most of us just don't have the time, bandwidth to actually do that for any company. So if you don't have that, then yeah, diversifying makes sense. And if you're thinking about like, right, let's say you're going, okay, great. So maybe I go into, you know, the existing public markets and maybe I go into, into the, you know, the private market as well. Um, are you think of talking 50 split? Does it matter on your age? Or uh, it's, a, it's a very difficult question. What would be a good starting point for people? I mean, I, it's hard to say. I guess it all depends on everybody's situation, right? And like, you know, I can only think about my own situation and, and how I've, what I've done in the past and everybody will be different. I can't tell anybody, you know, this is what you should mm-hmm. or shouldn't do. But like you mentioned there, like, you know, pensions and whatnot. Like if I think back to my own time at Salesforce, you know, I definitely didn't take advantage of those things to, you know, the effect that I should. I think if I was going back and doing all that again, I probably would do it vastly different um, and max out or close to max out, you know, pension contributions, your stock purchase plans. At the time, it's kind of, I found it very easy to just be like, ah, you know, no big deal. Like, you know, or I want to spend my money on myself and other things. Or like when I say myself, you know, on more material things on a month-to-month basis are going out and enjoying myself. But, you know, where's that money now? It's gone, right? <laughs> I can't get it back. So I think if I was going back or if I was vi- advising anyone from who was in a similar situation or at the start of that would definitely be to make sure that, you know, the two easiest places you can probably uh, invest your money is in your pension if you're in a company that offers it to you um and also those stock purchase plans right and take advantage of them and then after that it's about like right okay they're the two easiest ones they're also fully automated as well which was always important to me it's like i don't want to do have to worry about you know the the work uh around things like that so if someone can do it for me and make that really really simple the money's gone out of my account before i even see it at the end of each month all the better after that it's kind of like well what else can you do and if i think and again only thinking about it from my own perspective i was kind of going you know, I had my, my first uh, son was born three years ago. And at that time, I was kind of going, right, what else can I do um, to kind of build up my own wealth for the future? And you kind of realize pretty quickly, these things are long, long-term long games, right? They're not going to happen overnight. And you have to be willing to, to sit and wait and kind of forget about it. I'm not going to get rich day trading, right? So unless you have that skill set and, and the time and knowledge to do it, then um, you're probably going to be uh, in a similar situation and going to have to come to terms with the fact that it will take time. So I was looking at, you know, what else can I do? And I found um, a an opportunity, a fund that anybody can do. It was, it was it's actually with Zurich. It was through a guy, uh, a brand called Ask Paul, which is PAX Financial Advisory. And they just did a, it was like an investment club. You can invest from as little as 90 euro, I think it was, a month. But again, it's fully automated. All of they they set it all up for you. You're investing into a massive global managed fund of billions. You know, the benefit of that is that there's a very experienced and well-established uh, fund manager sitting there managing that money. 
Um, and again, it went out of my account automatically. I didn't have to worry about it and I just let it roll, you know? So for me, it was always about finding opportunities like that. Um, you know, as I said, I was, had, had, had uh, bought crypto years ago. I traded a bit at the very start and then I just kind of left it and I left it sit there. I think in terms of how you make up your overall portfolio, whatever it is, it, it's not really, it doesn't really matter. It's entirely up to you what makes sense. But I think it's about finding like, what is it, your, what's your strategy? Are you willing to sit on it for a long term? Do you want it just to be automated or are you, are you more active in it? And then, you know, directing your money accordingly. Um, but I think if, you know, I think more and more opportunities are opened up in the, that's what, what we're focusing on, giving people access to. I think when those opportunities are available to people, I think it's, you know, and important to look at all available opportunities and see does it make sense to 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 move some of the money into that. No, I'm totally I'm totally with you, and I guess the way that I've I've adopted to it, if I think back, I, I guess we continue on what we've done is um, is yeah focusing on those uh, you know like whether it's a Vanguard or whatever is ten percent S and P five you know and let's say eight percent per year. So there's a chunk there which it kind of feels like you know everyone's oh last hundred years it's continued always has a positive return. So you can you can somewhat relax and have a chunk in that. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I mean the other side of it is there is sometimes then a, a part of cash which is is nearly fun money in the sense of right you're going to invest and in maybe something that could bring a five, 10, 20 extra turnover a shorter period of time, but could also go as well. You know, that that's possible. And that also happens in, in the publicly traded markets. I mean, there are a number of companies that I'd, I'd invested in who, um, you know, ended up getting delisted uh, uh, as, as a result of, you know, the, the tech that they sold didn't actually catch on. So I don't think you're necessarily safe even in uh, in the public markets. I mean, things still go wrong. and There's something to be to be mindful of if you go into an individual stock. But so what I'm taking away from that is having the everybody has a strategy. Not having a strategy is a strategy, a very bad one. But you you do have that right, and um, there really should be a plan for you know what what kind of financial stability slash freedom do you want in five years, ten years, twenty years, twenty five years? Because touch wood should get there you know where everyone's yeah. living healthier lives longer lives so you know yeah, you'll sure. probably get there sooner than you imagine yeah big time look as i said earlier on like everyone's situation is different and, and some people will care more or less about these things <clears throat> you know i'm in my mid-30s now with two kids and a mortgage and you know i'm at that point in my life and you know you're you're similar there whereas you 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 do have these priorities that you're planning for again if you're in your early 20s mid-20s and don't have those priorities, maybe it's not as important to you, and that's absolutely fine as well. Um, so, but yeah, like you mentioned, public markets, they go up and down as well, depending on what the asset class is. But if you think about something like, you know, venture capital, you know, investing in startups, it's definitely high risk, high reward. Um, but yeah, you're not um, immune when it comes to the, the public markets either. Like if we look at the last couple of years, the problem with public markets is they're way more closely tied to the wider economy. So when the economy takes a hit, you'll really notice that in the public markets, it kind of flows with that. Private markets are a lot less um, heavily correlated. So you don't necessarily see the same um, sort of uh, dips um, if the economy sort of takes a hit. And that can be, you know, that's kind of a safety net that a lot of investors use. It's kind of having a poor, uh, a, percentage of their portfolio within private market assets that can ride out those sort of bumpy um, times within the economy. Things like art generally 
you know, is a is a, an alternative asset class is something that generally doesn't move with the economy. So if the economy dips, the art, you won't see that same correlation in art. So a lot of people will uh, leave a lot of their money tied up in art. Now, people are probably thinking, who the hell can invest in art, right? But there's actually companies that are making it really, really accessible for people like you and me who want to invest, again, maybe a couple of hundred quid a month or less in really high-end well-known artists, famous artists. There is companies that are doing these things. So again, it's really, I think the next few years, the next decade are going to be super exciting for many reasons in technology. But I think around this particular space, around personal finance, around investing, I think it will definitely see um, a massive jump in that as well, because we are starting to see these sort of access points open up for a lot of people, right? So um, I think it's going to change a lot, which is really exciting. Um, and that's the that's what we're getting involved in and pitched it. Um, but yeah, I think again, you know, just to go back to that point around public markets, they're not immune. They will, they will, you will see those um shaky times. Um, and I guess private market assets may be less correlated, won't see the same um peaks and troughs. That's pretty cool. So um you're saying we might be able to find a way to own uh, the tiniest speck of paint on a Picasso. Yeah, or a like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's companies that are doing that. So basically, they um, what, you know they, they tokenize or secure securitize the assets. So that essentially, yeah, what you're doing is you're buying one tiny fraction of it. Uh, and they hold it for a certain amount of years, and then they make a decision. You know, after a certain amount of years, is this and that based on the market? How popular is the artist right now? Is it a good time to sell to make a return for for the underlying investors? And yeah, I think it's really cool to be able to do that. You know, and um, again, it's just different avenues that people can take to put their money. Like we're not again. I I was these things weren't available right not even that long ago. Like I said, eight years ago when I joined Salesforce, I had no idea about any of uh, not a huge amount about investing in general. The stock purchase plan was kind of the first thing. And then it was, then I came across the Toro and then it was crypto. And then in just even in the last five years, if you think about your mobile phone, if you think about if you're on an iPhone or a, uh, or otherwise on a smartphone, what apps you have and what you can access um, is pretty incredible. And that's only going to get, you know, that's only going to speed up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're, uh, where are we now? We're in November. So if you're an AE into Q4, depending on when your Q4 runs till December or January, um, you might be thinking about where you can funnel some of that money. I think, again, the only thing I found with commission was that you're never, you're never guaranteed to know exactly how much you're going to make until the very end, right? Um, so you can't always plan accordingly. And uh, it can be... Um, it can be tough to be make the mature choice of putting it away in savings or investing it in something when you get a nice payday, right? So I'm sure people will have their eyes on some shinier things. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be really useful because that is some of the questions that I get from from account executives, bigger one on coaching them, and they're like, "Okay, I, I've smashed my number and it's great, but what do I do with this this cash?" And so they just leave it stacking up in a bank account, maybe not doing what it could be for them. So I think this would be has been would have opened their eyes to the fact that you know there's private markets to maybe go after. There's a, the world of art, and also some of the different areas of the stock market as well that that are there. 
Uh, but most importantly, having a strategy, having a plan in, in play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that is pretty cool. And I was just thinking, so if we, have, if, I suppose if we fast forward to, or pull it back to where we are now, a lot of people are looking to close out their quarter, looking to close out their year. Um, and we've got a mix of account executives, mix of founders who, who are in that situation. You, interestingly, are, in, are kind of a, a foot in both camps and have had experience there. So I guess from a prospecting perspective, what's, what's the number one tip that you would give somebody for looking to find new opportunities? Yeah, um, I think something that uh, worked for me in Salesforce and actually that I've carried forward into what I'm doing now when it comes to reaching out to potential investors is it's a it's actually the same process really like you know trying to raise capital is a sales process you run it the same way i would have run a sales uh, prospecting cadence or a sales cadence back then and so it's funny to see that come through and for me i am a kind of routine person and for me to be successful in my day-to-day and productive i have to kind of have certain things set up properly and that I can just make things easy so when I was in Salesforce it was always about just preparation right it was and it was always you know the very start of the year going through your whole account base current customers and prospective customers and in detail like it took a while it usually took a few weeks of of work but it was always worthwhile having that done before the start before you really kicked off the FY and really in detail building out every single account who they are What's their current contract look like? What what are they using? How many seats? Who are the main stakeholders in the company across the various departments? When is their contract start, finish? All that stuff so you can actually properly go after an account. And similar for your prospect accounts as well. And that's the same with me. So it's just about like doing all of that setup. And like, even though it's painful and monotonous and, you know, repetitive, it stands to you in the long run to make sure that all of that is built out and done. Because then it's just about action, right? Then it's just about you have all of the, the information in front of you and you can just start chipping into it and you can just start going after it. Um, it makes life way, way easier. It's a bit of pain at the start, uh, which is which is uh, not nice to go through. But then once it's done, you're kind of like, I have this ammo that I can use to go after these clients and go after these people. And it just makes life so much easier. So that was always one that stood to me back then and one I took with me. It's putting in that preparation early. Make sure that you have all of that data, all of that information you need. And then you can just start going after it so much easier and action so much easier. Cool. Makes total sense. Preparation, key. Do the, do the work and get yourself set up for success. I like it. Um, nothing, nothing new that people don't know. It's kind of the obvious stuff, right? That's why people keep saying them. They tend yeah. to work. Well, look, it's, it's what works. Rob, what's your number one sales tip? I had a, a manager in uh, in Salesforce once who was talking to me about one of his managers um, who's very well regarded salesperson there and, and, and commercial leader. And he said, he had a funny saying from, he said, he has a neck like a jockey's bollocks. Basically, like <laughs> he will ask, he has no problem asking the tough questions and sticking his neck out. And what he was getting at and the, the lesson that he was teaching was like, do not be afraid to ask for the deal. If you've done your job, if you've put in the effort, the work, you've ran your sales cadence, you've ran the sales process effectively and correctly, then the, the client or the prospective client should have been given everything that they need. They should have had all of their questions answered and they should be well aware that they are in a sales process. Obviously, that's tracking towards a date where you're going to close it out. Obviously, when you get close to that date, things can get a little bit 
jumpy with clients and you know you're you're wondering whether or not you're going to get it over the line or not if you've done your job you've earned the right to ask for that deal essentially to say look we've worked through this sales process you know the the, the plan was working towards this sign off day we've answered all of your questions we've ticked all of your boxes essentially you know can we get this done you know and, and i think sales people and I was one of them as well, and I fell victim to it. Sometimes you shy away from the hard questions because there's a fear of losing a deal, and you don't want to push a client too hard because you're, you forecasted a deal, and in your head you're already spending the commission, and you're just scared of you know you know ruffling feathers and pushing somebody out of the process. But if you've done your job correctly and you've managed that right, you've ev- you've managed that correctly, you've every right to ask that for that deal. So I think salespeople need to have that confidence towards the end of that process to know that they can ask for that. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. Uh, One way to look on it is you shouldn't be afraid to ask for a deal, but you're just speaking to another person as well. Sometimes you might be speaking to a VP of this, co-founder, CXO, it's just another person. Um, And as you say, if you've done your job, if you've understood their desired outcome, if you understand the negative impact it's going to have every day or for the longer that they don't actually go with, with your solution, you can also use that as a way to reiterate and ask that question as well. So sometimes um, it doesn't have to be so direct, but it can you know, call out that you're missing out on such and such. We're planning to go ahead on this date. It feels like that's not going to happen. You know, what's changed your side? And there's a hundred different ways you can ask it, but asking it because what's going to happen you'll just get to the, the end of the month the end of the quarter and you're just going to get those questions asked by i guess aforementioned leader and yeah. what are you going to say i don't yeah. know because i didn't ask no there's a number of different ways of asking the question you don't have to be super direct with it but nonetheless salespeople need to know they they deserve they put in the work and they've you know they've earned the right for it so or they should have at that stage so definitely not to be scared of it and that's you know i went through that experience myself and you get to the end and you're just like you know you're worried about pushing the deal too hard but you know you're you need to know if, is it in or is it out right makes sense absolutely um and i, I guess a question i typically ask um people and i'll maybe ask you in a two-prong way is number one is what's your your number one promotion tip um, but then I guess if you think about what that might be for someone working internally, um, but another question I'm going to throw at you as well is, you know, what tip or advice would you give maybe a sales professional who's considering stepping out and founding their own uh, their own business as well? Yeah. So in terms of the, the first first question first, um, I think play the game, right? If it turn when it comes to career progression, your job your the job description and what you were hired for is really just the cost of entry, right? That's the expectation on a day to day basis of of how you, you what you need to do to maintain your job. But I think people need to realize if you want to move up, if you want to move up fast, and if you want to do well outside of just your number or your target, there's a lot more that needs to be done, and that usually comes down to the extra effort. It's putting your hand up, asking for that extra work. It's the extracurriculars. And I wasn't always amazing at doing it myself in my time uh, because, you know, a lot of, and it's easy to just say, look, my focus is on my, my job because that, that can be hard enough, right? Especially when you're in sales and there's a target over your head that you're trying to, to chase down every month. Sometimes it can, you kind of have the blinders on and you're thinking, look, I have a lot on my plate right now. And you don't even think about the potential extra, you know, work that you could be doing. 
but when you look, if you think about thinking back to my career in, in you know, Salesforce and looking at a lot of the people who have done really well and have moved on since then into leadership roles, maybe still in Salesforce or other country, uh, other companies, a lot of those are the people who put their hand up and kind of did the extra bit, you know, and, and put themselves sometimes in uncomfortable situations, in situations where they didn't feel super confident, but they thought for the better good. So I think, you know, if you're in that type of career and you want to go far and you want to do well, you do have to play the game. It's just, it's part and parcel with it. Cool. Uh, I really like that. Was, so um, you're thinking of going from, let's say, being an account executive and taking that step to starting your own company. Any tips or advice you give someone? Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably need another podcast episode to go through it all, to be honest. But it's, you know, to try and keep it as, as short and concise as possible. Um, the obvious stuff first is imagine yourself doing that. Can you support yourself financially? What are your, you know, what priorities do you have outside of yourself, you know, from a financial perspective, you know, family mortgage or whatever it might be. How long can, if you were to, to do it and step out, imagine yourself not earning a salary for six, 12, 24 months, you know, there's that potential there. And um, it's always more than, it's always longer than you think it's going to be. So do you have the, the finances in place to allow you to do that? Um, so that's kind of the, the obvious ones, right? So just to keep a roof over your head and food on the table type of stuff. Um, but outside of that is, look, something that you'll hear, you know, constantly rattled off and because it's important and true is around validating the idea that you have or the problem that you're trying to go after. Um, it's all well and good to come up with a, what you think is a great idea and go and ask your mum or, you know, your brother or your sister or, you know, your close friend what they think. And they tell you, oh, fantastic. Well done. That's a great idea. And then you go off all confident and you're kind of gung ho into trying to chase this, this idea down or, or this problem. Validation has to run broad and deep and it has to go far outside of your own social circle um, and really, really try and test your hypothesis. Is this something that actually has legs? Um, you'll find that it might not, it might or it might have to change slightly, but really, really make sure that you stress test what it is you want to do with a really broad and diverse group of people and um you know, whether that's one-to-one -one interviews with strangers that you think could be, would fit the kind of demographic of your, you know, future customer profile, surveys, whatever it might be, going and speaking to people on the street, you really do need to actually put the, put in the legwork there to make sure of that. Um, the last thing you want to do is leave a comfortable job and quickly find out that this is not something that people will pay for. So make sure that that work is done and, and plenty of it. And that's something that doesn't end, right? So you don't validate an idea and then go, right, time to build this company. And then, you know, it stops. The validation continues throughout the, pro the, the process long-term. So I think that's probably the, the two important areas. It's make sure that you can survive financially and actually and, and manage this for a certain amount of time, longer than you probably think you're going to need. And then make sure that whatever that idea is that you're going after, the problem you want to tackle, make sure you've done the legwork. Make sure you've done all of that heavy lifting on validating it. Cool. That is really helpful. So I, I guess that will give people um, a good insight into it. And everybody thinks of the more glamorous side, but I mean, the, the reality of 
you know, how long can you go until you, um, you know, start getting steady cash coming back in? That's a, that's a big change. Um, yeah. Okay. And finally, before I let you go, um, I know you read a lot. What one book would you recommend people check out? I recommend two, if that's okay. Um, one that's purely kind of more personal development or more business related-ish would be Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is kind of all geared towards growth mindset. It's a really, really interesting book. It's relevant to anybody really because you can you can think about your own situation and how your your own brain works throughout as you're reading it. And you will recognize quite quickly how you think in certain situations and whether or not is that growth mindset or is it not. Um, so that's a really interesting one. And then another one uh, is less um, less kind of businessy or personal development style is The Boys in the Boat, which is a true story. It's about the US Olympic rowing team during the Berlin Olympics back in the 40s. So it's a bit more about kind of overcoming challenges and adversity, but it's a fantastic book as well and definitely worth the read. Excellent. I have not read either of those books, so I look forward to checking them out. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for coming on. And if people want to connect with you, find out a bit more about Pitch to what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. And yeah, absolutely love to chat to anybody, just even casual conversation or interest in what we're doing. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn is the best place. Um, so I'll, I'll be, I check it regularly. So anyone who reaches out to me there, adds me there happy to to chat either on LinkedIn or set up a call, whatever suits. Great. Well, once again, thanks very much, Rob Halligan. My pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Work Before the Work podcast. For show notes and additional resources, go to paulcaffrey.com forward slash podcast. If you got value from the episode, then take out your phone, give a rating in your podcast app. It's only one click. And if you have 10 seconds to spare, then add the sales tip that resonated most and how you think it will help your sales performance. This really, really helps the show. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode.